Hello and welcome to the second season of All I Know. My name is Jen Winkleman and I'm your host for this time where we gather together as if we're around a little campfire and we're there to listen as everyday people tell us some of their stories. Here at this show, we believe that behind every single face, there are stories. And in every story, there are lessons for life that are waiting to be learned by the rest of us. So today, our guest and I will have a largely unscripted conversation, aside from the anchor questions that we use to get into our interviews. And then as our guest story unfolds, if you and I choose to do so, we can catch the truth and knowledge and wisdom that's being shared with us like little fireflies in a jar and then use that as light for our own paths in life. Thanks again for being with us. This is All I Know. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are going to pick back up with our conversation with Taylor today. Um, Last time, if you were not with us, you will want to go back and listen to that episode before tapping into this one. Taylor shared the beginnings of her experience being a survivor of a school shooting, and today we're going to continue that conversation. We're going to jump in a couple minutes back from where we left off last time. Uh, At this point in the story, Taylor's class is just being evacuated from the building, and that's where we'll pick up. So eventually, like, SWAT guys came and, like, banged on the door and scared the bejesus out of us and said, okay, you're coming with me. And I think at that point, your brain finally is, oh, (laughs) we've been in, like, real danger this whole time. And those were gunshots that I was lying to everyone and saying that it was a door slamming. And when they evacuate you from a shooting situation, they make you put your hands over your head to indicate that you don't have a gun because they don't know that there's not more than one shooter. They don't know that there's not a shooter in the woods. So basically they give you like a quick spiel of, okay, we're going to need you to run. (laughs) And it is possible that someone will be shot at while you are running because you're going to have to run down these stairs and then behind the school and then across a, a parking lot where you're, you know, if there was a shooter outside, which fortunately there was not, but we didn't know that they could have taken someone down and and we were instructed, even if someone goes down, you keep running. And (laughs) so by the time they got us out, we were one of the last classrooms to be evacuated. And then they had us go into a gym that was the next building over. And that was also extremely eerie because they're doing like roll call. And so we knew exactly who was in the room We knew exactly who was missing. And before the last people had been evacuated, they start putting us on buses to take us to the neighboring town to get us out of there. And so as we're loading up on the buses, we see like a helicopter landing at the school to take away our classmate who little did we know had just been shot. It was like an ambulatory, like a flight for life. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So like, as we're pulling out of the parking lot, uh, that's happening. And, you know, it's teenagers who are scared and shocked. And so they're saying things that are completely inappropriate and like making stupid jokes. And I was, you know, hysterical about don't you understand what's 
going on right now? Like, why would you be making jokes at a time like this? And anyway, they um, took us out on buses. And by the time we made it to the next town, that was the weirdest. It was like a circus is what it sounded like, because all of a sudden you hear this eruption of cheers and people are so excited because they think their kids on the bus. And then there's also people sobbing and there's sirens and it's but it was this weird combination of like really happy people and really devastated people. And there's people like banging on the side of the bus. Is my kid in there? Are they alive? Oh, my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then by the time they actually got us to somewhere where they could park us, the reporters are so thick, the kids can barely get off the bus. So we're having to like wade through reporters who are putting microphones in our face and, and you guys are just picture. kids. Right, exactly. I mean, it, like... Who've I just, like, yeah. actively traumatized. Totally. Yeah, I don't spend that much time around kids, but I've recently spent time around some people who are, like, 14, 15. I don't think I realized how young that is. Because uh-huh. uh, I think when this happens to you, you just immediately are like, I'm a grown-up now. Uh, but when you meet somebody who is actually 15, you realize, like, no, that's still a kid. That is still very much a kid. Uh, and that is a really terrible thing for any human to go through. But for people that young, what a ugh, disruptive. That's not even, that's not the right word. I don't know what it just just a terrible, terrible thing. And anyway, so so then my family got out of there, went home And by the time we got home, we had, you know, like 400 missed calls or something from every news station in the world and um, tons and tons and tons of voicemails. And we turn on the news and they're announcing that this young woman has been killed. And it. Oh, horrible to go. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Like this. This is all real. That really happened to us today. And then I think we just kind of divide and conquered. We just kind of went to our own spaces to like cope, but we didn't cope together. I don't remember their family. Yeah. I don't remember there being like, let's have a hug or none of that. It was just like, oh, that was horrible. Now we need to go, I don't know, decompress or whatever. And that's kind of where the really interesting story to me begins as to what happens when a whole community overnight has PTSD and no one will talk about it. After a tragedy that includes sexual assault, apparently the school that had happened in previously, they had not pressed charges. And so they were not legally obligated to notify the next school, even though it was on his record. They just hadn't pressed charges. So eventually it was found out and it was all over the news. We were all over the news again (laughs) because this therapist was there. Uh, Yeah. I think, as you have said, we have come a long way in the last decade. And I think if it happened now, I would like to think that they would handle it very differently. (laughs) But I can't say that I am super impressed by how that all went down. Yeah, I mean, I it's horrific. I'm so uncomfortable learning that piece of information that I almost feel like I can't speak. Yeah, Because what you've been through already is so horrific and beyond human comprehension. And then that this is some of the help sent your way. Right. It's it it strikes me dumb. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's just like a crazy, crazy story. Like, even as I tell it, it's like, how can this possibly be true? But it is it is 
true. It was weird when I wrote the podcast script. I I chose not to read the police reports until after I was done writing because I wanted it to be as accurate to my memory as possible. I didn't want it to be like a documentary necessarily. I wanted it to feel like the real emotions of what it felt like to be there. And yeah, the experience rather than history, which it might mirror yeah. history, but the experience is more important than the facts. <laughs> But the weird thing about it is that afterward, I did go back and read the suicide note. I read the police reports. I read all the things just to make sure I hadn't gotten anything like really off base. And I was shocked at how accurate my memory was. I guess I kind of thought that there would be so much that I um, got wrong because it was a long time ago and it was traumatic. But in reality, almost everything was what I wrote which I think is a testament to how much something like that, it does burn into your memory mm -hmm. and you can't forget it. Even if you want to forget it, it's there uh, for better or for worse. How many young women survived that room? So from what I understand, he narrowed it down to seven young women and then slowly but surely he would like let one young woman out every so often and as I was being evacuated, I believe that there were still two young women in the room and he ended up shooting one girl and shooting himself. I believe that that is the moment that the other girl was able to run away. The kind of the story goes that the the young woman who was killed, we were on the speech team together and she was a very talented communicator and very empathetic and she was able to talk him down and talk him into letting the girls go one by one. And even the negotiator oh. talks about this in reports that the negotiator really wasn't able to make that much progress. But the young woman who was killed did. And thanks to her, that is probably the reason that a lot more people didn't die that day. She's the reason the others got away. Most likely, yeah. Um hitting me kind of hard so yeah I might I might need a minute to pull myself back together now I get it so um many of the girls had been let go by the time you got out of your classroom and as you're running down the stairs and out the building and across the parking lot, you see Flight for Life helicopter. And so probably the murder of that classmate had just occurred mm -hmm. shortly before. And then, mm -hmm. as you said, the shooter took his own life. But when you saw that Flight for Life helicopter, you didn't know any of that until you got through the circus and the next town over and all of that sensory stimulation and the reporters and the banging on the bus and the tears and the cheers and all of this just cacophony, basically. Yeah, I knew that there were two. I knew that it was narrowed down to two. And when we found out that someone was taken away via flight for life, I didn't I didn't know who that was to wait and watch that on TV and trying to figure out which one of my classmates is gone was, you know, a lot. 
So did you find that out from the newscast? I believe so. Yeah. I think simultaneously as it was on the news, people were calling us at the same time. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? But I think that's how I finally realized that it was true. So the shooter had murdered her and taken his own life. And then that's when police were finally able to breach that classroom. It was kind of all simultaneously from what I understand. It sounds like they had a bomb that was placed on the door. The shooter had said something to the effect of this all ends at four. And I guess we thought that he was going to detonate a bomb at four. And so I think the SWAT team had gone, okay, well, obviously we can't wait till four. So they decided that they would set their own bomb at four. And so from what I understand, they set off the bomb and kind of as they were setting off the bomb is when he shot her. It was the same bullet that killed her and killed him. And so I I imagine there was a whole lot of chaos in in that moment because there would have been sharpshooters positioned behind where the shooter would have been in the library. And then there would have been people coming in from the other side where the door was, where the bomb was being set off. So I imagine all of that happened within seconds from what I can gather. So you're home as a 15-year-old getting phone calls, messages, seeing news reports. What happened that night? So it's a funny thing. Like when I talk to my family about it, I don't think any of us have a concrete memory of exactly what everybody was in shock that night. Yeah. Yeah. I do have memories of like the next few days. And so in the podcast, what you'll hear are true stories, but they didn't necessarily happen that night. But how I wrote it and how I'm pretty sure it went down. But, you know, this is the memory of someone who just went through the worst day of their lives. So mind you, it's probably not all accurate, but I believe that, you know, my mom kind of went to her room to just cry and fall apart. I think I left to go hang out with my teenage boyfriend, which meant I left my little brother alone, which I regret. And then I don't remember if this happened the night of or if this happened the day after in real life. But my dad was part of the school board and they called him back to the building because they needed a representative of the board to go in with the people who were doing like insurance and the legal part. And so he actually had to go back into the high school, uh, which I think affected him in other ways that are very troubling. So the podcast sort of tells the story of my perspective, my mother's perspective, my father's perspective, and my brother's perspective. Uh, And so those are the four main characters that the story follows around for all these seasons. And I think their stories are just as difficult, if not more difficult than my own, but they're very different than mine. And that's part of my goal is to try and shed light on if you were in the building and you were a few rooms down, if you were in the room, if you were stuck in Denver and you were having a hard time getting to your child, if you were a teacher, if you were whatever, you're probably still affected by this. And Mm -hmm. those are stories that need to be told whether or not you were in the room. Mm -hmm. When did you go back to school? I am not certain about this to an exact number. 
I have asked people about this because my memory is kind of shady about this part. I believe it was two weeks later, but I've heard other people say it was only one week later, but I can't imagine that was the case. I think it was two weeks later. I'm pretty sure it had been two weeks. What were the students doing, whether it was a week or two weeks? What were the students doing during that time? Were you guys talking to each other or were you also quiet with each other? My circle was not talking to each other. So that doesn't mean that no one in the community was talking about it, but the people that I knew were not talking about it. So I think everyone just kind of distracted themselves, went back to school and distracted themselves for another 15 years. (laughs) <laughs> including myself. I I did not go to therapy for many years after I eventually did, which was very, very helpful. But honestly, the best therapy I've done about all of this is making the podcast, like taking the time to write it all down and try and empathize with some of the other perspectives that might, were happening at the time and really dig in and let myself feel sad. Mm-hmm. I think I'd never really done that until I wrote the script. And for people who haven't listened to the podcast, it's a radio play. So it's sort of like watching a TV show, but you just can't see the screen. So there's actors in it. So I actually like directed actors to act out all these different people that I've been describing. And that was a really bizarre and useful experiment in helping me wrap my brain around something that I had chosen not to acknowledge for years. (laughs) And even... (sighs) When I started writing the podcast, that would have been around the 14-year anniversary, and I sat down with my parents and my brother and said, where were you that day? And that's the first time we ever talked about it. Wow. How do they feel about this project? How do they feel about Forward? I think, let's see, what day of the month is it? It's the 20th. So it's only been live for 20 days. (laughs) We're recording on January 20th and Forward was released on January 1st of 2021. That's Mm -hmm. correct. So right now it's still so fresh (laughs) that it's kind of hard to gauge how it's going to land in the world. And so far, um, it's been met with really positive feedback from people who either said the story needs to be told or... This is difficult for me. I'm going to choose not to listen, but I'm glad that you're doing this because there are people in the world who need to hear the story. In general, I've been getting really positive feedback, and so I think my family is feeling pretty good about that. But I think we're all nervous as to who is this going to hurt? And that, of course, is my largest fear in releasing this is I don't want this to trigger people, and it inevitably will. I don't want people who've already suffered so much to have to feel more pain. That part, I think, is scary to me and to all of us. And so I think there's, you know, there's just nervousness around, like, how's that going to be? And I think there's also nervousness around how am I portrayed? Because, you know, it's written from my perspective. So there's going to be things that I thought as a 15-year-old that don't make people look so pretty. Or don't make myself look so pretty, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's really raw and it's really honest. And there's a lot of stuff that's hard to hear, but that's sort of the point is that we're all human. We're infallible. We make mistakes. We don't always handle situations in the best ways. And if we were to just pretend that we were perfect and lovely and made no mistakes, that's not a very interesting story. And it certainly doesn't serve people. Like I want this to serve people. I want it to be a tool 
to trigger larger conversations and I want it to be a way for people to wade in. I want it to be an opportunity to be like, let's talk about this. And no one's going to talk about it if you just say, I'm great. I'm totally unscathed. That's a lie. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> and we need to talk about this. So, I, yeah, I think my family's been very cool and very supportive. And I think just inevitably we're all nervous about at some point there will be aspects of this that hurt somebody. And that scares me. Yeah. When you say let's talk about this. What is this? What does that word encompass? Sure. I think this is the mental health piece. Because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was okay after that. We all pretended to be okay. But we weren't. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It's hard to hide that for a decade. <laughs> it's hard to pretend that nothing happened to you. And, and at the same time, it's really hard to talk about this stuff. So it's weird because it like follows you and, and you'll go into a job interview and they'll be like, wait, did you go to that school or you'll go on a date? And they'll say, but wait, but you're from, is, didn't that thing happen there? And it's awkward and weird because it's the first thing that people know about you, even though there's lots of other aspects to who you are as a person. But it's the first thing people know and people, and I, this is probably not fair, but for me, it feels like people immediately perceive that person's broken. And so I think there's this huge <laughs> uh, push for people who have been through something like that to be like, no, I'm fine. I'm strong. There's nothing wrong uh, which good for them. I mean, they have survived something incredibly difficult. So I, I honor that. But at the same time, part of overcoming something that awful means that you've gone to some very dark places mm-hmm. and that perhaps needs to be treated with a different sensitivity and people can't give you that if they don't know what happened. Yeah. Voice is such an important piece of this puzzle, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about how therapeutic it's been for you to write, direct, produce, release forward. How do you think the event itself impacted you? What were you healing from as part of the process? What healed in you by embracing forward? I think the podcast helped me to not take it all so personally because when you go through something like that I think it you feel so alone you just you feel like oh god like everyone else was able to move on why am I still affected by this why am I still so messed up why am I unable to you know just function in the world like a normal person you feel like something's like wrong in your brain and in some ways something is wrong in your brain But no one's told you, you know, like you are operating under a different system. Your brain works differently than other people's now. Yeah. And it is okay to seek help to learn new ways to cope with that. Because if you don't, like it's not intuitive to know how to deal with something that's horrible. No one just has the skill set naturally inside of them to be unaffected, nor should they be unaffected because this is an insane situation and so not just the podcast but like just general therapy was incredibly helpful because I had therapists go okay 
if you are in a very, 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 very dark place, <laughs> there are tools that you can learn so that you don't have to have a panic attack every day. That's not normal. Yes, that is happening in your life, but it is not fair that you are experiencing that every day. And there are ways that we can teach you so that either it happens less often or it happens in less of an intense way. There's something about saying the stuff out loud that is helpful, that it empowers you to, to seek options to make it better. You know, mm -hmm. like for instance, I was having like such horrible nightmares for years. And, you know, as a silly teenager, I was like, well, what if I could just not sleep? So I would <sighs> so much caffeine that mm -hmm. I wouldn't go into my normal like REM cycle and then I wouldn't have the nightmares. And I was like, this will work, but you can't live for years and years and years without getting good sleep and not lose your mind. <laughs> and right. if someone would have told me when I was 15, hey, you have PTSD, this is why this is happening and we can help. Oh my God, my life would have been different. And, you know, that's that's what I'm referring to, I guess, is that if people would just be a little bit more open about this, then you wouldn't feel so alone. You, you'll hear it. This is kind of a spoiler alert. But at the end of season one, my character, me, <laughs> starts drinking too much because I don't know another way. I don't know another coping mechanism. And that is what I've observed adults doing. So maybe that's what I should do. But that is not how a 15-year-old should be coping with some horrible, horrible, horrible traumatic situation. But you don't know any better. And if no one's talking about it, then you don't have anyone to bounce that idea off of like, of, hey, should I get drunk to the point of alcohol poisoning? Hmm, no, maybe you shouldn't do that. Here's another idea. But like, we weren't talking about it. Right. You just thought you were alone and you did your damnedest to survive. And you can't really fault any of us for any of the choices we made because we were just doing what we needed to do to survive. But a lot of those things sure would have been helpful to have a different skill set when those sorts of things were coming along. Well, and especially when it comes to trauma, I think you're so right on. I mean, anytime any one of us is traumatized, we need a trusted sound voice of reason to yeah. speak wisdom and guide us because our brains cannot make choices instinctually that are going to help us heal. Mm -hmm. A lot of times we circle our trouble and just make it worse mm, yeah, and, yeah. and ruminate. And so that piece that you're saying about not being alone, I mean, I just feel like it's so critical. It resonates with me because that's a huge part of the reason that I became a therapist. I just think loneliness is the saddest feeling that a human can experience. Right. And if we can do something about loneliness, oh my gosh, how much can we change? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We all think that we're alone in the world and we're not. Most people probably have more in common with us than things that are different, but it's hard to know that in those right. moments where as you described, when we are very, very, very lonely. So when you think about this experience, Taylor, what you went through when you were 15, this horrible tragedy and crime that was committed against your community, and then the wake of it too, where maybe you circled that trouble for a long time before you were able to break out and begin to really heal. 
what would you say you have learned from this? Like if you're coming back to that touch point, all I know based on what I've been through is. I think at the end of the day, all I know is that we all have our own stories and some of them are horror stories, unfortunately, but we all have our own struggles. We all have our own traumatic situations that we're trying to overcome. You know, the story that I've written is a universal story. And when I started on this project, I didn't know that that was going to be the case. But at the end of those, very specific, I bet when you, you yeah, that's what I would have guessed. But I had 70 actors and not one of them told me that they couldn't relate. Not one of them was it difficult to get them in character because every single actor who came in said either I was a doctor and I worked in the blood bank during blankety blank shooting or my brother just had to get out of the mental hospital in Colorado because he's dealing with schizophrenia or my partner survived Columbine and he's still dealing with the ramifications or my child was recently in a lockdown and we didn't know if it was real or not. It was the scariest few hours of my life. This, unfortunately, is a story that everyone can relate to in some way, whether it be that you're affected by violence in some way or you're affected by a mental illness in you or someone that you love. At the end of the day, that's what I've learned from from all of this is that maybe we think we're alone in our suffering, but as it turns out, we are absolutely not. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just sometimes it's far away and it's hard to see, but it exists. And um, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, I think it's a lie to be like, it's going to be great and perfect and everything's going to be shiny. It takes a long time to heal. And it's very possible I will never heal 100% from this. Probably not. It's a scar for sure. But, you know, like you said, being a human is hard. We do our best. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you just have to keep growing and making a point to do better every day. And I think a big piece of what I'm taking away from the conversation with you today, when you talked about that light at the end of the tunnel that maybe you can't see, part of the way to get closer to it is to speak. Yes. Yeah. To find someone, even if it's just one person. Right. You do not need to broadcast it to 26 countries like I have done. There's a much more subtle way to do it. I think you're exactly right. Even if it's a therapist who's bound to confidentiality and can't tell a soul. Maybe that's the person you confided, or maybe it's your partner or your sibling or your mom. But like, yeah, I I think it is empowering to talk about it. And as I've released the podcast, it has been interesting how many people have told me who were from this community who've chosen not to listen because it's harder for them. And they, you know, I've just chosen to kind of put it, put it in my brain somewhere that I will never have to access it which is a strategy, but I do think it eventually will catch up with you. Or at least that's been my experience. Eventually the stuff bubbles up and eventually your brain just can't, can't handle another thing. (laughs) And then 15 years later, you find yourself in the fetal position. So I think it is of benefit to talk to somebody. I think you're right. It doesn't matter who that person is. What was it like for you? And then I'll stop bombarding you with questions. (laughs) (laughs) What was it like for you to speak today what was it like for you to share it 
this way, which it's a little bit of a twist on the other ways that you've shared it. It was a really interesting experience. It was good. You're good at asking the right questions. Um, I think there's something about it that's a little bit more vulnerable and a little bit more scary than what I did in the podcast because I'm in control of that. You know, I get to make every choice as to what details I do or do not include. And it's really interesting to have a conversation with another person who I have given my blessing to ask whatever questions that they want. <laughs> you know, it takes some of the control away and it makes it feel more personal, I guess, in some ways. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a different, different way to tell the story. You know, there is a vulnerability not, with it. You're totally right. Yeah, about that. It, yeah. It, it's not the cliff notes version. So it, it was interesting to get to do that with you. But I think that was really cool to get to do that with you, especially given that you have a background as a therapist. So <laughs> if there was anyone that I was going to have that conversation with you, the right person to do it. <laughs> oh, well, I really thank you for trusting me with it and for taking the risk. I mean, you talked at the very beginning of the podcast about taking risks mm, as part yeah. of an extraordinary life. And you definitely did that today. And I know that there are going to be a lot of people who benefit from this conversation. And I'm so grateful to you for being willing to have it. I hope so. How can people find forward? Tell us all the places to go. <laughs> So that well, we can follow what you're doing and, and be a part of this movement that encourages people to speak up. It is in all of the places, so it's not hard to find. It's spelled funny because it's a combination of two words. It's a hybrid of the word forward, like the forward of a book, and forward, like moving forward. So it's spelled F-O-R-E-W-A-R-D. So if you go to forwardpodcast.com, you can find all of the things. Uh, we're also on iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram if you want to learn about the cast and the crew and all the different people who made this possible. Yeah, pretty much anywhere you look, you will find us. I think I'm starting a TikTok tomorrow. Not that I know how oh, to do that. Oh, why? I know. <laughs> this will be interesting. Oh, you know what? We're on Reddit. I'm learning how to use Reddit. That's been very exciting. So, yeah, you know, just Google Forward Podcast or Taylor Frazier and, and you'll find us. And if people do go to the Ford Podcast website, I'm sure that pinpoint can feather out to all the social media platforms. Totally. A lot of people have never heard an audio drama podcast before, and it's kind of a, a whole different animal, but it's a cool way to listen to a story and engage with it. And it's getting rave reviews. So awesome. I, I do think it's an important story. So I hope people will take the time to listen. Okay, so just make sure you spell forward correctly, everybody. F-O-R-E-W-A-R-D, forwardpodcast.com. Yep. Taylor, before we wind down tonight, I want to take you through the questionnaire by Bernard Pivot. I'm sure you're familiar with Inside the Actors Studio, which is like the best interview show of all time. And <laughs> I have I have heard of it, but I don't know what questions you're going to ask. So here oh, we go. Oh, you're kidding. Well, this will be so fun. So <laughs> Bernard Pivot is a Frenchman and he came up with this questionnaire. I don't even know what the roots of it are, but I remember seeing a zillion times James Lipton ask these questions of his guests. And so it's how I like to finish these interviews. So Taylor, what's your favorite word? Okay, this is really random, but I really like the word awkward because it sounds like what it means. 
I like words that you say the word awkward and you feel awkward. Yeah. And it's a solid word. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> What's your least favorite word? I don't know if I have a least favorite word. Moist is kind of a gross word. How Lots of people one? hate moist. Yeah. That's yeah. Moist definitely is a is a highly chosen least favorite. Yeah. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? Passion. Anytime anybody's like really excited about something, I'm like all in. Like I have a friend who is a physics professor and I don't know anything about physics, but he starts talking about physics in this way that he's like so excited. It's like the coolest thing he's ever done in his life is whatever he did at work today. And I'm like, I'm in. I want to know everything about it, even if I have absolutely no idea what he's talking about. Passion really excites me. What turns you off? Mean people. I hate spending time around people who can't be nice. And I have this dream that like someday when I've made it in the world that I'm only going to work with really nice people and that someday I'm going to fire somebody who's a really <laughs> jerk. It's like on my bucket list. Oh, OK, you go. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> because you can use it in so many ways. My dad's going to be mad because he hates when I curse, but I cause a lot in the podcast. So forewarning, if you decide to listen to it. <laughs> Because it can be like a positive thing. It can be a negative thing. Apparently, it actually, they've done like some study where they see that it actually reduces pain in your brain when you say that word when you're hurt. I don't know why. Yeah. But it's just a very versatile word. You can use it in almost any circumstance. <laughs> I love that you highlighted the versatility of it. I'm going to hold on to that. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? My friend Audrey has this really loud, wonderful laugh, and I love it. It just, I can't help but laugh when I hear it. I love it when people like laugh with their whole body, and it's my, that's my favorite sound. What sound or noise do you hate? My father getting a glass of scotch from the liquor cabinet. Every time I heard that sound, it made me cringe. That feels like a whole other conversation, but... It I can't, I can't go down that road. <laughs> He's oh! 10 hours, but yes. Uh, yeah. That's, that sound was always like, Ugh, for me. What profession other than your own, would you most like to attempt? Yours. I think in another lifetime, I would have liked to be a therapist. That's the first time someone's ever said that to me. What? Why? Yes, I'm you serious. the job in the world. That's so exciting. You I love that you said that. Deepest parts of people's psyches. That's the best. I am thrilled with that. What profession would you definitely not like to do? An engineer because I'm bad at math. <laughs> Fair enough. So bad at that. My colleagues would be so frustrated with me. I would mess up all the time. And the final one is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say as you pass through the pearly gates? I don't know that there's a lot of angel food cake here and you can just lay around and do nothing all day. That would be great. That it's easy street from here on out. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Taylor. I'm very grateful to you for the time and the vulnerability and the storytelling. Thank you for having me tonight. This has been quite the pleasure. It was a wonderful time. So everybody, as we close out our time together tonight, I just want to encourage you to really take to heart what 
Taylor had to offer us, which is that no matter what your path is, we all have had experiences with some suffering and that that isn't something that we should bear alone. That a big part of getting through this life and managing it where you don't have to think about it being hard being a person all the time has to do with finding a place to speak, finding your voice, because no matter how alone you may feel with what you've been through, there will be people who can resonate and understand. And the having H-A-L-V, like cutting in half, that suffering is a big part of what helps you heal. I want to thank you for listening in today. When our guests agree to be vulnerable with us and to share from the well of their life experience, one of the best ways that we can acknowledge that kind of courage is to communicate that what has been shared has fallen on ready ears and a heart that is open. So if there was something that struck a chord today, please interact with the posts on social media that are related to this episode so that you can let that storyteller know about the impact that he or she had on you. If you haven't connected with us already on one of these platforms, you can find us on Facebook and on Instagram under the handle all I know podcast. Please remember that the ideas, opinions, and views shared today belong solely to each speaker. And while we hope our listeners find fuel for working with in their own lives from every episode, it should be noted that this podcast is not a therapeutic intervention and it's not a substitute for advice or counsel from a mental health professional. All I Know is a production of Inward Bound, which is a private psychotherapy practice based in Denver, Colorado, and our team works primarily with children and their families that have been impacted by developmental or early childhood trauma, and we specialize in adoption and foster care issues. This podcast is produced by Jessica Barry Edelstein and me with audio engineering by Craig Knapp. If you're interested in developing a relationship as a sponsor for this project, or if you're interested in being a guest and one of our storytellers on All I Know, you can reach us at know at inwardboundco.com. I'm going to give that to you one more time. know at I-N-W-A-R-D-B-O-U-N-D-C-O.com. And you'll never miss an episode if you visit the website so that you can subscribe or follow the show through your preferred streaming platform. And the way to find us on the web is to go to allIKnow.podient.co. We hope you'll join us for the next installment of All I Know. And in the meantime, this is Jen for all of us at the show reminding you, catch all the light you can. <laughs>